Hello, everyone, and welcome to Nano Community Tech, sharing tech stories that inspire technology enthusiasts across the nation. Today is a special episode. We have two co-founders of Ventari VR, uh, a virtual reality medical company that saves lives by me eliminating medical errors. It's a great discussion that I'm certainly looking forward to. But first, let's introduce our guests. Uh, over to you, VJ and Nish. Welcome to the show. Brilliant. Thank you, Sandeep. Thank you for having us, and it's really exciting to be here. Um, I think, in terms of the the flavor of uh, what this podcast provides, um, in a, in terms of technology discussion, uh, I think it'd be really great to get into some of those details, and we're excited to unpack a lot of that um, as we can during this episode. And uh, yeah, I have here Nish with me, my uh, co-founder, partner in crime, uh, and I'll let him say a few words. Yeah. Thanks, VJ, for letting me speak. I appreciate it. But, um, <laughs> um, Sandeep, how are you? And how are you, everyone? Thanks for listening in. Super excited to talk about um, virtual reality and what we do, and obviously tech as a whole, uh, being tech aficionados or slash nerds, as we'd like to call it in the community. But um, yeah, no, thanks, and super excited to share our story. Well, you certainly are in, in company of, uh, of the, the, the nerds that explore this sort of stuff. So we we and our listeners are certainly going to be very excited and certainly very, very enthusiastic about sharing a bit more about virtual reality. And, you know, it's a hot topic now. We know that there's a pandemic happening and it still hasn't gone away yet. The medical industry continues to be the center of focus and innovation like what um, Vantari VR offers and, you know, professional doctors like yourselves. Um, this is a great harmony of skill and vision. So it's it wouldn't be justified for me to give an introduction as you could do, you will do a way better job at doing that. So please tell us a little bit more about Vantari VR. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, so Vantari is a virtual reality platform. Um, so we help doctors and students uh, practice life-saving procedures in a safe, scalable environment by leveraging the use of virtual reality. Um, our platform um, is meant to help uh, all these health practitioners practice greater than 95, 90, 95% of procedures they need to do and know how to do during their clinical practice. Um, it's really great in the sense that this is an opportunity uh, and an area where technology and health impact comes together. Um, and that's pretty special. I think, you know, you mentioned COVID and really, um, you know, Nish and I started a company in 2017 uh, and we had a vision uh, about how we wanted to improve medical training and medical training and education, how virtual reality could be that technology or tool to do that. Um, and it's great to kind of have the vision uh, to start with and really follow that vision and make something happen and make impactful technology. And it needed something like COVID as a catalyst to then accelerate that conversation and make it clear for the rest of the fraternity and really the decision makers to see that VR could be and is like the new paradigm in training and education for health. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's great to be, I guess, vindicated in some way, uh, but also to have the technology now being able to be in a position to make such impact in healthcare. And, and look, I, I think there's a, a, you know, from the interest of VR, because I'm, I'm personally only really familiar with VR from what I see from consumer devices and, you know, games for that matter. 
And I already know that from that perspective, it's quite an immersive technology and one that I think would, you know, inevitably comes into the space of training, comes into the space of actually, in this case, a medical uh, use case. So I also understand that there is, um, there is a whole initiative that you've uh, undertaken into delivering that optimal user experience. Um, so maybe tell us in the context of that optimal user experience, what would, what, what do you use the technology to do? Yeah. So I think um, uh, I'll just probably answer that. Um, yeah. In a, in a nice nutshell way. Um, so covering how you talked about where VR has been playing in. So property, mining, entertainment, gaming, um, are some of the industries it's really made an impact, but over the last kind of three to four years, we've seen it really, um, you know, take its, take its shape in healthcare and digital health specifically. Um, both VJ and I came from purely clinical backgrounds. You know, VJ was in emergency, uh, medicine for about 10 years and, and myself in surgery. So both of us were really, um, quite new to the VR game when we started it in 2017. And there was a lot of hype in 2014 when Oculus got acquired by Facebook and, People were talking about how it was going to be the next game changer, uh, similar to the iPhone or or any other mobile device. Um, but what we're seeing is hardware maturity now, and these kind of conversations can really happen. And you can then build meaningful applications in an area like health, where um, it is you are dealing with patient lives, you're dealing with more intricate um, solutions, and it comes with it a certain user experience. So for us. We always found that VR as an immersive device would really lend itself quite nicely to training and education. It's not to say we haven't uh, delved into lots of areas of healthcare. Um, you know, there are about 45 specialties. Um, then there's nursing, there's allied health, there's a huge array of areas that VR can impact. And then you've got obviously uh, um, augmented reality and then AI, uh, some of the other key components that are playing in health. Um, for us, we really look at how we can bridge the gap between learning a procedure for the very first time um, and then doing it on a real patient. So the way VJ and I learned and sadly is still being done today, and it does lead to, uh, to a significant medical error. And if you are a patient or a family member, you wouldn't want to know this, but it's often we're doing procedures for the very first time on a patient. So um, what we wanted to do is remove that element because what you shouldn't be doing is doing a a life-saving procedure for the very first time on a real patient. Um, and ways we learned were obviously online modules, textbooks, cadavers, mannequins, all restrictive and limited in their own way, all um, not being able to be scalable, especially in a time of a pandemic. And like Vijay mentioned, COVID almost accelerated this conversation of VR being used in healthcare. Um, so for us, allowing users, clinicians, students, nurses, and everyone within the healthcare fraternity to jump into a headset in an accessible way, do a variety of procedures um, uh, with medical equipment, with a virtual patient that can be adjusted in any way or form, allows you know, endless possibilities of training because you can interconnect procedures where if you make a mistake, it leads to this, or you can run a scenario based on if you had a male patient, a female, um, a pediatric, a neonate, all of the array of things that are very difficult to learn on those other modalities of training that I mentioned. So for us, it's taken a long time to get us to this platform that we built. So we've got an end-to-end solution where you access it through a laptop, you download the application, you load it, you put on the headset, and then you've got this virtual environment that you can almost play in <laughs> uh, and do these procedures according to college guidelines. 
And we've spent time speaking to lots of stakeholders, healthcare clinicians to get it right, because for us, as much as we spend time in clinical medicine, it's important to get the insights that we have from the community to make sure it is a product that lends itself quite nicely to training at the moment. So um, yeah, it's it's really uh, taken shape and we're really lucky to have about 150 clinicians using it once or twice a week in training um, across four tertiary hospitals um, in Australia. So three in New South Wales and then one in Perth. Um, and as always, we're running research to make sure it is valuable because what you don't want um, coming in with technology into health or any other um, uh, field is to say, hey, here's a solution, but it doesn't exactly fit. It needs to have data around it. And Vijay mentioned some of the things um, around how many procedures we're covering, but things we found are 95% um, engagement from users using our software, which means it's great because it's people are learning in a smart, effective manner. Um, there's an increase of 75% in retention. So it means they're remembering more compared to some of the modalities that I mentioned. So if they engage more and uh, learning better and remembering more, well, hey, it's going to lead to obviously in the long term, a reduction in medical error because they're going to make less mistakes. So that's our big vision and goal at Vantari. Um, and it is a big one because we want to eliminate medical error. Um, and, you know, we're on the, on the path of doing so within the three years we've done it. Changing lives is exactly what we want to hear about, um, and and uh, and and you know that that's really refreshing to see a, a new take on uh, more traditional ways of learning. Uh, certainly, a from my perspective, the the experience that I've had on in VR generally as a consumer has been very positive. Um, I guess maybe let us tell us a little bit more about how an individual would use uh, the technology to to learn. Just take us through the steps. Sure. Um, so I might start with the, I guess, the hardware and you know how you might set that up, um, and then go into the actual experience. Um, so really, uh, the hardware that you need is a high-performance uh, computer uh, with a good GPU. So it could be a laptop or a PC. Um, and um, as a, we use any of the consumer um, high-grade uh, high hardware that's available on the market. Um, so, you know, you would look at an HTC or an Oculus Quest 2 or what have you. Um, and basically, it's linked by a cable to the computer. Now, the reason we use that is it is um, high fidelity simulation. Uh, so, you know, we might go into these topics as haptics and medical realism and uh, medical physics and things like that. Um, but you really need the processing power, um, you know, and the GPU requirements that the laptop provides. Uh, we do see that in, a, in the near to short to medium term that headsets will probably be on their own as a standalone device able to deliver this kind of processing, uh, but they're not quite there yet. Um, so having that hardware set up, uh, as a user, you're able to create an account um, and you know we're hosted on the cloud, you create an account, and if you have an active subscription, you can download that application onto your computer. And you download that application uh, and when you launch it, it gives you a library of procedures um, and then you can pick a procedure out of the library of procedures to then um, perform and practice. So, you know, you go into it, so it will, it will tell you, you know, now put on your headset after you pick the procedure you wanted, you put on the headset and you're totally immersed in a virtual environment. Now, you know, obviously there are many different environments. I mean, we've got an operating theater and, you know, there's more in the way like resuscitation rooms or roadside or what have you, but that's just limitless. Um, so there is an immersive environment. And in that immersive environment, you know, it's photo real. Um, and you're saying the operating theater is photo real. 
high fidelity you've got an anatomically accurate patient head to toe um, who's your patient and then you've got medical instrumentations which are all accurate and be digitally reproduced um, so you know you're you're operating with familiar instruments that you use in your everyday practice um, so those are things like scalpels tubes gauze anything you need for the procedure you're about to perform um, now you'll use your controllers uh, that comes with say the uh, Oculus or the HTC, and you'll actually interact with those instruments. Um, and then you'll go through, there is a menu of steps. Um, that's a court, the college accredited guidelines on how to do this particular procedure. So you follow those steps as you go along doing this procedure on the patient. Now, as you do them, there's uh, data tracking. So, you know, in the back end, all the data is being logged and recorded. Um, you know, completion of the steps, success and fail, time taken. Uh, but also more contextual data, like, you know, uh, I'm inserting this pallet needle. Um, what angle should I go so that I land in the um, in the blood vessel? As opposed to, you know, I'm going too deep. So you can give that kind of feedback, which is really rich. Um, so you do your procedure. It's, you know, it's replayable, infinitely replayable. Uh, you can jump out and go into another procedure. And basically at the end of it, um, you can log into your account on our Connect platform which uh, basically provides you a data dashboard of all of your performance data. Um, so that you can uh, see how that would be quite powerful to the individual in terms of, um, you know, uh, providing feedback and a report card could be used as a digital logbook or an accreditation tool on the other side. Um, and more importantly, in an organizational level, that's pretty powerful because as an administrator, so if you're a director of training or director of a hospital, you can actually see the data of your entire cohort. So you might be able to give targeted help to the individual clinician or make organizational decisions to improve. Oh, look, everyone's doing really great on, say, chest strain, but everyone's doing really badly on CBC. So that means there is a fundamental problem in how you're delivering, you know, some of this teaching. Or So you can make those kind of, you can have those kind of insights and make those kind of organizational decisions. So there's a lot to be said about the whole data data part of it. Um, so that's how operationally it works and how you experience the platform. Uh, now, obviously the platform is being updated all the time. So that means that there's more features. So features would include integration of medical imaging um, and those kind of features, but also um, things like content, new content, which would be new modules. So you'll have a new procedure that comes on and then you can practice that. And, you know, really that's limitless. And it really depends on what the market and our customers are asking us in terms of, you know, what is of value to them. And then we, you know, go ahead and do that. The, your question was how, how do users engage with our platform? And VJ answered that really well. But can I just say VJ engages with it in some land speed record fashion in that he's always setting <laughs> new times of setting it up and, and flying through procedures. So there's the optimal way of doing it. And then there's the VJ way of doing it. So uh, I <laughs> my just kind of guy. Uh, uh, my kind of guy. I'd add that element in. <laughs> Wonderful. I mean, if there, I think, if, if, if there is the gamification component, you know, you naturally are competitive, right? Oh, I mean, there you go. There's, there's right. nothing yeah. without speed runs, I think. There, well, there you go. So that could be a, a score, part of your <laughs> scorecard. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You did, you did the surgery well, but you didn't set this up. Really <laughs> yeah, that's right. If uh, if you're a patient in the future that's getting something done by VJ, just know he's going to try and do it in a minute than the recommended <laughs> 15 minutes. <laughs> nice one. Well, and that's so. It's it. It seems to me that it is. Um, you know, there's an immersion exercise, and it's there's that realism. But 
at the same time, you know, you know, from from my perspective as a as somebody who's only really used VR from a sort of game and and probably more of an infotainment uh, type of experience, you know, you, there's an element of actually feeling like you're there, uh, but at the same time, it's just your visuals and your ears that are getting a lot of the um, the feedback. Are you exploring other means of engaging and, and immersion? Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, similar to what you said where VR has been used, a lot of it has been consumptive, consumptive to date. But what we really focused on is taking it to that interactive state as much as possible because when you're doing medical procedures, it's how you react or interact with the equipment, how do you interact with the mm -hmm. patient, what do you do if you make a mistake and so on. So when we talk about what we've done with our framework, we've really focused on the hand in interactions and poses that come with doing a procedure because we know with um, that comes haptics, which is essential for doing medical procedures. So when we talk about the VR component, when you engage with steps, we focused a lot on that 70 to 80% of the cognitive load that comes from knowing how to do a procedure. So A, this is the first step. B, this is the second step. What do I do if something goes wrong? Then it's about how your hands are positioned when you're holding, say, a drain or a scalpel or a tube and so on. So I think for that, what we've done is map out exactly how our hands would be in real life and use that in VR. So when you're using the controllers, it's actually mapped to how your hands would move in real life. Obviously, as things improve where you've got things like haptic gloves or third-party devices that will be allowed that we can integrate with, then we've got the opportunity to use it for finer surgeries in the future. Um, but what we've done really well now is to make sure you're also learning the nuances of how your hands move within VR. In terms of um, how it feels, um, and that's that last 20 to 30%, I guess, of doing a procedure, which is your utilization of your hands and feeling um, sort of going through muscle or tissues, we really integrate haptics with the vibration. So it looks at things like you know, a prolonged one or a sudden sharp vibration and things where we can mimic almost the feeling of going and doing it on a real patient. So that's how we've kind of added the interactive element. Um, we're looking at different ways to actually engage with the environment as well, whether in the future it's heat maps and so on. Um, we've also added, I guess, a virtual trainer. And this is something that really came out of the, the pandemic because what we found is you couldn't have as many people in the same room um, clinicians or seniors weren't available because they were doing COVID facing activities in hospitals. So we actually added in a virtual trainer. So someone to guide you each step of the way and talk you through. And obviously you can turn this off as you increase the difficulties uh, in terms of taking off the steps or turning off the virtual trainer. And that would almost finalize your learning. But as a starting point, it gives you the feeling that someone's there guiding you and at least it's done virtually. So it's a great solution. And something Vijay and I have really been working towards with the team is this concept of a ghost mode. So the hands are actually moving and showing you how to do the step before you actually do it. So that's mm -hmm. where it takes interaction to the next level and utilizes VR to its full potential. Because I think consumptive is one part, but this whole element of actually doing medical procedures has to harness the whole interactive element of VR, if I may say that. No, 100%. I think they... Uh, you talked uh, uh, a little bit about this, uh, Vijay, a little bit earlier, uh, medical physics. You talked about realism. You talked about haptics. Um, and Nish, you, you've, you've given us a good sort of picture as to how these things come together. Um, the virtual trainer part of it seems to really 
uh, to tie all those things together to go, well, you're not, not alone in, in this and you're, you're kind of, uh, you, you, there's a guide. Um, the ghost mode reminds me of, um, of, uh, video games where you've got, um, where you've got, where you've got, where you're trying to hit a time in a racetrack, for example, and then, and, and the car in front of you is that, that ghost mode car that tells you what pace you should be at and where you should be turning and all that. So I feel like that it, it, it there are a lot of par- parallels and I certainly feel that there's a lot of, um, certainly a lot of, uh, um, ad- advantages there. Uh, I think from a, I guess from a, from a broader perspective or a user experience, you we also talked about the actual physical surroundings. Oh, physical is not the right word. Virtual surroundings that you create in that environment to make it feel like it's a real place, so it doesn't um, come across as being an artificial setting. Is that something that you're also looking into? Yeah, absolutely. I mean. Um... I mean, I can't, I can't let the ghost mode racing go by without a comment. Um, okay. so, yeah, so. all, all I remember is um, Crash Bandicoot Team Racing and there'd be the little crash, like your best time going in front of you and you're trying to beat it. It's, it's yeah. awesome. But, uh, but really, uh, yeah, no, look, I think, you know, gaming leads away in a lot of these ways and um, it inspires us to take some of those elements to integrate into enterprise applications. So I would say that. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely the the virtual environments. Uh, it's a critical part. The immersion, as we all know, and there's a lot of studies around it, about the immersion is a critical part of learning transfer or knowledge transfer for you know contextual learning and all of that kind of stuff. Like there's a lot being done on that. So you know, I think you know we follow the evidence, and that's very clear. Um, now, in terms of the virtual environments. The scope is just massive. Um, you know, you could be anywhere and replicate anything in terms of what kind of environment you want to put a person in. So it could be your bread and butter situations like, you know, an operating theater standard. Most operating theaters in Australia or even globally are pretty much roughly the same kind of map mapping and, uh, you know, sort of fit out uh, or, or in a resuscitation bay or all of those things or just a roadside where, or, hey, there's an ambulance and you're a paramedic and someone's crashed or something at the roadside, things like that. But also then you can think of really, you know, really more progressive things like, oh, how about if there's a disaster? So disaster management and, you know, practicing for a disaster. What if there was a, there's an earthquake or what if there was an explosion, for instance? Um, what if, you know, it's for retrieval medicine? So that doctors would go out to the middle of the country nowhere and then they have to transport a patient back in like a fixed plane aircraft and it's like this tiny aircraft and you have to do all of those things in this tiny aircraft. So um, I think the scope is just massive and right now to faithfully reproduce um, high fidelity environments takes a lot of time um, because there are a few um, techniques um, and these are like 3D modeling or I guess those sort of techniques like photogrammetry or point cloud acquisition or what have you to actually uh, reproduce these environments. But those are really going to become commonplace over time. I mean, we know that iPhone is releasing LiDAR, um, you know, that's like a work in progress and, you know, the captures, uh, the captures and the ingestion of environmental information and then outputting that same environment virtually is going to become so commonplace that we should be at a stage years down the track where, you know, it doesn't take months 
to create a virtual environment to high fidelity, it would take days or weeks. So, you know, then that makes our conversation really limitless. And and this kind of brings me to the to something Nish mentioned a little bit earlier, which is the marriage of AI, VR, and AR. Yeah. Um, and I think it's where 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 are we at with that? Because that seems to me like a a nirvana that I think uh, I guess I'll, I'll you talk um, you know Vijay, you talked about the iPhone. Uh, and, that, and that really goes into the whole AR space. Uh, and then how do we, where do we see VR and AR um, merging? Or is, is that even a thing? Or, and, you know, the, I guess the support of AI in this whole situation and contributing to that realism, contributing to the, uh, to, to uh, adapting to the situation and, and so on and so forth. Maybe you guys can articulate it way better than me, but I, you know how how where are we at with that? What what what's happening in that space? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's a it's a great question, and we get asked all the time where they where these technologies play in different fields, especially healthcare. Um, I was just going to say, being from surgery, I'm very insulted to know that Vijay thinks all theaters are fit out the same. So having seen <laughs> <laughs> over 50 theaters, I'd say there's a bit of difference, but um, that's okay. But yes, in terms of um, your Like question, a racetrack. Um, I, I, I yeah, mean, that's right. It's like a racetrack. <laughs> Select your racetrack. You know. Yeah, that's right. It's an Italian racetrack or something. Well, you know, the patient's in the middle, the anesthetist's at the head and the surgeon's on the side. Like, it's the same. Yeah, very efficient. He's missing the, uh, the other people or personnel that are in there, but that's okay. <laughs> um, yes, uh, but yes, that's that, that's not from uh, Vantari, that's from Vijay's perspective only. All right. It's not a good podcast until, uh, you know, we just, put, um, I guess, uh, talk about the intricacies of surgery and emergency medicine. Of course <laughs> Often not. Often a practice of relationship, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, sorry, I've taken away from from your question. But yes, I think um, they're all three of them are great technologies. Plus, obviously, some other ones that are popping up in terms of telehealth and and so on in medicine. But looking at each of those, I think they all have their strengths, and all are different strengths of maturity in terms of a technology. And if they have hardware, they're at that different point as well. Um, and they're all going to have a role in in healthcare. If I can talk about that specifically, so. With VR, you know, it's immersive, it's interactive, it's great for running scenarios, dealing with complications. It has a role in what we're doing, training and education. It has a troll, uh, sorry, uh, a role in um, distraction therapy, um, dealing with phobias, uh, potentially dealing with if you're getting an immunization or injection for giving you an environment you can be calm in and while you're doing it. It can be used in the preoperative bay um, for before you go into theater to help you uh, relieve some of the stress or anxiety from that. Um, and it can also be used in, in obviously psychiatry and different fields for pain management. So I think there's a huge array of solutions for VR. And what we're seeing is the technology is matured enough to actually play in those spaces. So we've seen obviously Oculus um, with a standalone headset and VJ touched on it where we think eventually it'll just be completely standalone without the requirement of a, of a PC or a computer to run enterprise grade applications. Um, you've got HTC that's really grown in terms of technology as well. So I think as these hardware manufacturers grow um, in their offerings, then the software is going to get better as well. And as we've seen with phones, it's only as good as the content that's on there. 
So a phone is essentially just for calls, but then when you've got an array of applications, it's just going to make it a more powerful ecosystem for people to play in and engage with. And I think that allows enterprise-grade applications like ours to really interact with those elements. Um, something where you can see augmented reality starting to play in really well is something like surgical planning. So where there's a requirement to superimpose you know, medical imaging, so we're talking CTs, MRI scans, uh, any sort of form, or you want to overlay information like vital signs or um, patient information within an operating setting, within an emergency setting, whatever it may be, there's a potential. So with surgical planning, it's already been done in, in the US uh, and that's been done mostly, mostly with kind of neurosurgery and orthopedics. So um, where there's fine and nuanced surgery, where there's requirement to integrate imaging. Um, and that's been done with Microsoft HoloLens and we've seen that quite well. Um, mind you, it's still an evolving technology and we find that AR is something that still needs to grow in terms of the specs as well as the cost to make it actually consumer friendly. Um, you know, you, the Microsoft HoloLens is probably $4,000 plus and makes it really difficult for, you know, the end user to attain unless you're at an institution. You've got obviously Apple releasing an AR headset next year and a few others. So I think there's, there's great potential from, from the hardware piece there. Um, and in terms of where we think, um, or why I personally think will be headed towards is really an all in one headset that almost gives you that mixed reality component. So you can switch between VR and AR. And I think that's the ideal uh, mechanical tool or technology to use in a variety of ways, because that will help us integrate immersive training education, surgical planning, and a lot of the other uh, modalities that come from it. And then I was going to say, uh, finally, the artificial intelligence part. Um, that's just a huge conversation and a beast. And to be honest, AI can be used within the frameworks of AR and VR as well. And I'll let VJ touch on that, where it's being played in our technology and some of those spaces. Um, but really where it started off in healthcare is um, using either NLP or various other mechanisms for fields like um, pathology. So you're diagnosing conditions or anything with pattern recognition, um, looking at um, CTs, MRIs, helping that diagnose better, quicker, and more efficient. Um, so anything with patent recognition, great. And then finally, dermatology, so skin condition. So we see mm -hmm. some of those fields as the ones that are being impacted by AI. And that's just very high level about what it can do. We actually think clinicians' roles will grow in the future. I mean, BJ reckons will be exterminated, but I disagree. And I think we'll just have to be, we'll have to evolve our roles to, to be um, people who are well-versed in AI and understand it and be able to say, well, here's what it does really well, and now we add in the clinical component. So I think our, our jobs, are, uh, our futures will really change and evolve with technology, and we either embrace it or we watch it, and then we sort of <laughs> fall behind. So I think it's really important to address these three technologies in different ways and understand not one of them will replace the other one, but they all have their role to play in, in health. You know, the, the limitation... I guess is really a technology limitation, right? At this at this point, I mean, we know that um, you know this whole teleconferencing aspect with functionality is evolving as we go. Um, but what we're really talking about here, and and robotics is evolving as we go. So there's robotic surgery where there's a console and you operate on the console. Um, you know, with those uh, robot arms, then they'd operate. For example, in prostate surgery, um, and from a teleconferencing perspective, we already know that people are actually dialing into surgeries 
either to watch and learn or to give advice from a remote location. So I guess what we're really talking about here is telesurgery, right? So, you know, we need to be at a, at a stage where I guess robotics has evolved to that point where it can be faultless um, because in medicine, nothing less will do, I would say. Um, and in um, teleconferencing technology, you know, it has the sufficient infrastructure. We talked briefly before the podcast about 5G networks and all of that, um, you know, to actually have the bandwidth infrastructure and fail safes that you can actually do a live telesurgery, right? Um, I think the reality is um, that is a long time coming um, because, you know, I, presumably the transition would be that, you know, you attempt to do that or you do do that, but you have a backup surgeon on site. And that's how probably the first few thousand surgeries would happen before we, anyone is really comfortable not to have a surgeon in the room or in the hospital at least. So I think, you know, that's probably going to be, you know, uh, what we're talking about. But there is such an evolution of technology. And now what you're talking about is like the singularity or the confluence of technologies and, how, you know, what that comes towards, right? Um, for us, I think uh, it's interesting to think about an all-in-one solution where it's a continuum or a spectrum of technologies that are utilizing mixed reality, teleconferencing, all of that. Um, so that is pretty exciting. Um, we talked a little bit about the metaverse uh, uh, a while back and, you know, that's this concept where it's like the movie Ready Player One, where there is a, a totally persistent online environment that's um, virtual. And I, you know, would love to see one day where as, as doctors from a training perspective, at least, you actually, you know, go into the virtual world and there is a actual virtual representation of a tertiary hospital or quaternary hospital and you could physically go through those levels or floors to the uh, appropriate specialty. Um, so say you go to Kalitasia and go, you know, today I want to practice um, a heart transplant. Click on it, you practice a heart transplant. So it's just this massive um, potential. Um, and really, I think that's all exciting for everyone. Yeah, can you fly in that universe though? <laughs> you can fly. <laughs> that's, that's right. I mean, I personally would like the Millennium Falcon, but we see how we get. <laughs> I think Vijay, you'd love it because it shortened your route to actually um, choose the option of walking to places. You just prefer <laughs> to just uh, teleport from one to the other. So teleport you know, even better. Yeah, yeah. For, your, for your physical element, I think you'd enjoy that. That um, <laughs> now it's a it's really good, Vijay. You touched on the evolution of um, technologies, and you know when we were training, we had no idea about. Um, VR and AR and even AI about the impact it could make in the future. You know, we were stuck using paper notes and fax machines. So it's really nice to see what's going on. And we didn't train that long ago. I mean, it's, we finished um, university in 2010. So even in the last 10 years or just over, we've seen a massive change. And even from surgery, we've gone from open to laparoscopic, which is obviously using camera ports to do it, and now to robotics. So I think it's just going to evolve even more in the next 10 years and practicing at home or in any environment is what we want to achieve with Vantari. If we can get people in any specialty to practice a procedure at home, feel safe before they come into the work setting, then great. And then finally, that whole metaverse thing that BJ spoke about, where you could do any specialty at any time. And there's a great confluence of, um, of procedures. Thank you very much. Look, this is a good, a good point, I think, to uh, wrap up. And, and I, I just want to say, Thank you so much. I have learned a lot and I've been glued 
to to our conversation this whole time. So really, really interesting. And it's so good to see um, an Australian startup focusing on such um, leading edge technology that takes the medical industry, which is obviously has um, has a very traditional route to to such heights and and push push forward with uh, with with emerging technologies like uh, or technologies that are actually already here VR, AR, AI, and so on. So it's it's really really exciting to see this, and there's a lot of promise along the way. So I appreciate your time uh, today, uh, Vijay and Nish. Thanks for chatting with me and uh, being on uh, Nano Community Tech. Well, no, thanks for having us, Sandeep. And uh, it was uh, really fun. I mean, we could have talked for five hours, I think. So, uh, you know, it went by so fast. Yeah, no, it did, it did go by very fast. But no, thanks, yeah. everyone, for listening and, and Sandeep um, for hosting us today. And if anyone in the tech community wants to reach out to us um, for whatever um, reason, whether it's just to, to do this whole uh, conversation again or just to join us in our journey in some point, please feel free to contact us. Well, it's a good point. How can they contact you? So make sure you bug VJ at VantariVR.com before, but um, no, we're really easy. I mean, VantariVR.com. So really easy on our our website, but uh, both of us have, you know, our own profiles on there if you want to contact us individually. Um, But yeah, the website's the easiest and, we usually get back to you within 24 hours. It's super quick. Yeah. Fantastic. Thanks, Vijay. Thanks, Nish. Thanks for your time. No worries. Thanks, Andy. Thank you.